Um, anyway, uh, music is a major part of our life. It's a major part of uh, our society. Alan Bloom, in a book he published in 1989 uh, called The Closing of the American Mind, stated this. This generation is addicted to music. Addicted to music. I remember um, I was in business, in the music business, before um, I headed to ministry. And I still have this picture of this guy who came into our store. Any of you know what a boombox is? You know, anybody here know what a boombox is? Yeah, one. Good bus. Yeah, two. You know, this big thing, you, you carry it in speakers and you <laughs> carry it around. So this guy comes into the store and he says, man, I got to have my tunes. I need one of those things. They're like so addicted to music that I can't go without it. So I need something. He had very little money, but he wanted a big boom box. Um, and and I, I don't see that less now than I did years ago there. Um, I see people everywhere with wires coming out of their ears. And, and they may be at work. They may be in the car. They may be running. They may be uh, doing exercises. Um, they may be doing homework, but wherever they are, there's music happening. And, you know, like I'll talk to somebody sometime, they go, excuse me? Um, music. Uh, I, I have not met a person who doesn't like music. Now, they might not agree on the same style of music or how loud it should be, or, but I've yet to meet a person who doesn't like music in some way. And uh, music is just an important part of church life as well. And sadly, through the years, it has been a source of contention, uh, strife, and division in churches. And uh, when I think about music, I think about God. I think about the God of music. Our God is the one who, who filled the world with sound and with music. I mean, have you listened to the songbirds sing? Have you, have you listened to the, the kind of, of sound that fills the universe? Uh, listen to it. Uh, expressive, uh, even, even in the animal kingdom, expressive of delight and, and happiness or fear or sorrow. Mourning, uh, uh, you know, a, a mother moose mourning over the loss of, of a, 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 a calf. Uh, in creation, even, uh, God fashioned the earth to be full of music. In fact, in Job 38, verses 6 and 7, when God was creating, um, he, he was talking about, he was ta- saying to Job, like, where were you when I did this? Where were you when I did that? And where were you when, I, when uh, on what I, I set the footings for the earth? Or who laid its cornerstone? And then he said this, well, the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy. And most commentators think that the uh, morning stars are angels who were singing for joy as they watched God creating the universe and the world and, and fashion it, fashioning it for humankind. Creation is also enabled by God to praise 
him musically. In Isaiah 55 and verse 12, it says, You'll go out in joy and you'll be led forth in peace and the mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hand. God is a God of music. God is a God who fills the world with sound. And there is a most beautiful picture of God. Uh, and uh, we had just a wonderful time. Derek Burnett uh, spoke at our men's breakfast and did a, just a fabulous job. And he used as his text this text in Zephaniah, uh, verses 3 and verse 17. I, he did such a wonderful job uh, talking about this. I told him, you're stealing my thunder for tomorrow, man. Uh, the Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves you, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Did you hear that? Here is God speaking to his people who have rebelled against him, who've wandered away from him and, and so, so in such a bad way that he had to uh, chastise them and punish them. And he, he sent uh, uh, the Babylonian Empire to come and, and drag his people off into exile. But he's going to bring them back. And he says this, he will take great delight in you. And, and, and Derek did such a wonderful job of, of talking about shame and how we're often ashamed. And here is God who takes delight in us as his children. And he won't re, re, uh, no longer will rebuke you, but rejoice over you with singing. God. You know, I, I watch, you know, you watch a mother with a baby and sing to that baby. I have this, this image of God taking us. I delight in you and I sing over you. He is a singing God. Well, I want you to know that Jesus sang. The Lord's table, the, Lord, the last supper in, in Matthew uh, says this in uh, Matthew 26. After he finishes, it says this in verse 30. When they had sung a hymn... They went out into the Mount of Olives. You know that Jesus sang. Jesus sang. In fact, uh, during the Passover feast, the, the Hallel section, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, would be sung by them through the process of that. Jesus sang. And then as they were ready to leave, they sang a hymn, and then they went out to the Mount of Olives where everything would be launched for his going to the cross. You see, our God created music and music is to be used to praise hymns, him by his creatures, animate and even inanimate. So if, if you don't praise him, the stones will cry out. But I'm thinking, what is the function of music? Broadly, we were created in the image of God. We were created with, with thinking and reasoning capacities, with cognitive ability, but also we've been blessed with emotional expressiveness. Can you imagine a world where there was no emotion? Like we were all just like robots. Uh, you know, your wife just died. Yes, she died. We will bury her. This is fine. You know, I mean, it's crazy. God has given us emotion as he has emotion. 
to enjoy uh, very positively or to mourn very deeply. Uh, and music touches us at a very deep level that goes beyond the cerebral uh, right into the emotional level, provides expression for our emotions, for joy and celebration. It's interesting, um, in, in Genesis uh, 3 and verse 27, um, Jacob was leaving with his wives and his kids, and his father-in-law had, had kind of messed him up and made promises and didn't keep them. And, and Laban runs after him and tries to, you know, he wanted him to stay back. And uh, he says to Jacob, why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me so I could send you away with joy and singing to the music of timbrels and harps? What was music for? It was for celebrating. It was for expressing joy. And, and don't we do that? You know, you have a party, you have music on, and, and people are just uh, excited and happy in, in expressing that through music. It's interesting in James 5 and verse 13, at the end of that, it says, um, are you happy? Let them sing songs. When we're happy, we sing. You know, it, it's, it's interesting. You know, I will watch my kids sometimes and they'd be very contentedly doing something and just singing away. What a beautiful, what a beautiful sound it was to, to watch them. You knew they were happy. If Gerda's singing, it's a good sign. She's happy. Sing. <laughs> um, but in that, uh, if you're happy, he says, let them sing. And we think of wedding ceremonies and graduations and parties where we express joy. And what's with that? Music. But music also gives voice and, and expression to sadness as well. There are all kinds of laments in the Bible. Even Lamentations is a five-chapter lament. And in the Psalms, about two-thirds of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. It's interesting in Matthew 11 when... Jesus was coming under a lot of criticism. Uh, he said, he was saying, you're like kids who said, we played the pipe for you and you did not dance. Because when you play music, it's a happy time and you're supposed to dance and enjoy it. And we sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. And sometimes music just gives expression that, that we can can get those emotions out and, and express them in that way. Well, music is also a creative outlet. Uh, in the image of God, created in the image of God, we also have the capacity um, to be expressive and uh, as God is and creative. I mean, you can say, God is love. Or you could say, could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made were every stock on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade. Oh, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. The love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forever endure the saints and angels' song. Oh, love of God. He said, God is love. Well, with creative ability, you can paint pictures that express with deep emotion those truths. 
Well, music also can function as a mnemonic device for teaching and remembering things, for helping us to remember. That's why so many of the songs you see and and the psalms that would have been uh, learned and and people who were very serious about their faith would be able to sing through all 150 of the psalms, which was the the songbook of the Bible. Um, We remember things. They stick in our head. Um, you've met Scott Steen, who's, who's spoken here and, and spoken to our parents and whatnot. Scott worked with me for a few years, and um, there, was an, there was an Easter song that he didn't like the style of. And uh, while we were working together, I would, I would start humming or whistling that song. And he said, would you stop that? I can't get that song out of my mind. So many Easter Sundays, including this past Easter Sunday, about 8 o'clock in the morning... I phoned his house, and I started singing, alive, alive, my Jesus is alive. He put it on speakerphone, and he said to his, his kids, it's Uncle Kevin on the phone, so he, just, he let it go, and he knew that now that song was going to be locked in his mind, and those words were going to be going over and over, and so God uses that to help us to think and remember Um, those songs. Um, It's also used in worship to praise God. In Psalm 96, 1 and 2, it says, it's good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. It gives us a vehicle for praising and worshiping God. Well, I just want to talk for a second about the influence of music. The influence of music. Uh, I heard a statement years ago that it's the poets and the artists and the musicians who are really setting the, the direction for our society. And I was thinking, ah, come on, really? And the more I've thought of it over the years, the more I think that there's a lot of truth to that. That it's those people who are who are making movies and whose music is being heard um, that really shape our culture and impact us. And I believe that that statement is true. And the worldview of our children and, and us being inundated um, with, with the kinds of things that we're exposed to in the media can have a powerful, powerful influence on how we think and what we do. I was reading an article on this, and uh, the author of the article was relating to having two young cousins with her in her car. They were five-year-old and an eight-year-old, and she said this raunchy song called Get Lucky by Daft, uh, Daft Pink came on the radio, and she said, both of these little kids sang all the lyrics of the song, singing it out at the top of their lungs. They didn't appreciate fully what they were singing, only it wasn't appropriate. But it was in their mind, and they could sing it. And older people that understand that, and you, you have this going into your head continually, into your mind, and, and you're retaining it, can have an effect on how you live your life, constantly feeding that, um, shaping your morals, um, uh, shaping your worldview, um, affecting the way you think and what you value, affecting your decision and even altering your moods. 
Well, music and the arts can be a powerful influence, and we're bombarded by that, and it's rather insidious for us. We don't fully understand or appreciate how that stuff creeps into our minds and lodges there. When Moses came down from, the, from Mount Sinai, he heard all this ruckus going on. And he said, you know, what's happening here? It doesn't sound like a war cry. It doesn't sound like this. And, 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 and he comes down and hears this party and this revelry with drunkenness and debauchery and immorality. But you know what? It was accompanied by music and singing. And sometimes you can set the, the whole uh, tone and environment for something with music, very negatively or very positively. Well, I want to talk about musical worship for a minute. Uh, and and um, music in the Bible. I find it interesting. When God created us, he created us, and then he said, now I want you to, I want you to, to, to go and... Um, have dominion over the earth. So we had uh, raw materials, and God says, I'm, I'm, give, I'm giving over the, the oversight of this, uh, this earth to you, my people, that I created to fill it, um, to develop it. And, and so all of the wonderful things we do with culture are all part of God's design and what God calls for us to do. Um, so people who are creating things and inventing things and uh, people who are uh, doing things with medicine or arts or all the rest of these were all sanctioned by God. And it's very interesting in chapter 4 of Genesis, we see the development of culture. And um, we're introduced to a guy by the name of Tubal-Cain, and he works with metal and alloys and stuff like that. And so he's developing that. We've got a guy by the name of Jabel who's a herdsman. And so animal husbandry, he's developing. But there's another guy in, this, in this, th- these three people, and his name is Jabel. And in uh, 4.21 of Genesis, uh, his brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all who played stringed instruments and pipes. And you see, right at the beginning of creation, we now have... Music. Somebody said the only musical instrument that we've been given is our mouth. Well, I suppose hands and clapping and rhythm, you could add to that. But here's a guy who begins to develop musical instruments and music. And we see that right at the beginning of the, uh, of the, the Bible. We get to Exodus and the people of God uh, are released from the, the terrible oppression of Pharaoh in in Egypt. And um, when they get free across the Red Sea and they've been protected by God uh, from Pharaoh and his army slaughtering them, in Exodus 15, we've got the song of Moses. And Moses makes a song to to uh, help remember and to celebrate and to praise God through that. You, you can read it. I'm not going to read it now. And after they sing this, Moses and the P teaches it to the people. And, and then Miriam and the women, they danced and they took tambourines and celebrated. And we see the place that music had with the people of God and worshiping God and celebrating. We move to the time of David. And in Second in, in uh, Samuel 23, he was called Israel's sweet singer of psalms. He wrote all kinds of music, and as he became king, um, he, he begins to amass, uh, write lots of music and amass that, but he begins to 
get choirs formed. And so among the Levites, who were the, the tribe that were to take care of religious uh, things, and, and out of that tribe came the priestly uh, family. And uh, what they start and do is develop music. And they have choirs, and they have people who are, uh, you, you know, you couldn't get into the choir if you couldn't sing, right? Good idea. I'm going to help Keish out. If you can't sing, don't go and ask her to be in the music team. Um, but they trained people, and they found people with ability. And they began to build this whole thing, and that would grow. And, and they, would, um, they would have uh, music there. And David wrote this large percentage of music uh, in the Psalms, but there were other people. And uh, he had, uh, you'll notice if you read through the Psalms, you'll see some of the Psalms will tell you what tune that psalm is to be sung to. Those were all to be sung too, right? All 150 of them. Um, and, and so uh, with those psalms, uh, you would, you'd be called to, this goes to the tune of the lilies, and you use this instrument for it. So there's all kinds of, music is a part of the life of God's people and, and a, a part of their uh, ritual worship. Uh, David developed all that. And uh, trained and formalized it all. I want to take you further down, though. In the New Testament, there's not a lot on music uh, through the New Testament. But when we get to the book of Revelation, and we looked at worship in Revelation a couple weeks ago, um, uh, by my calculation, there are close to 20 songs in the book of the Revelation, the final book of the Bible. Sing, sing a new song. And they sang loudly. And, and you see a lyrics uh, throughout the whole book of Revelation. Um, and and uh, so it's, it's important that we see that music has always been a part of what God has had for his people. And something that can be used for them. I want to say something here um, that... Music also is not necessarily synonymous with worship. Um, anybody in our church that I hear use this, I correct. And every time, I will stop you and correct you. We say, um, now we're going to have our worship time, meaning music. So somehow now music has become the definition of worship. Oh, we're going to worship, and then we'll listen to the message. Um, uh, we just read the scripture, but now we're going to worship. Excuse me? I, I thought that's what we were doing. And we looked a, a couple of weeks ago at, at this. Um, we, we saw that what happened from the Old Testament to the New Testament was that we went from a play, a worship that was localized in a place and a time with specific rituals because God was there at that place where the tabernacle was and where the temple was, but that was destroyed. And Jesus told the woman at the well in John 4 that, you know, the time is coming and has already come when you won't worship there or there. It won't be which is the right place to worship because the presence of God will be in you. Your very body will be the temple of God, where God lives, and that means everywhere you are and everything you do is done as an act of worship. So I take great offense if we come in and say, now for the worship time, 
as though we haven't been worshiping. And what we're called to do is bring our worshiping selves in here and join with other people and, and um, celebrate and worship together. And something wonderful happens uh, when we do that. So we learned that, uh, that worship is everything we do in all our life. So every bit of it. Um, the Apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 10, that things as mundane as eating and drinking are to be done as acts of worship to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything to the glory of God. And, and so we learn that worship is responding to God in such a way that he's lifted up and exalted and praised and appreciated and thanked and honored. So we, re, we respond to God as he shows himself to us in who he is and what he does. And we go, wow, you are worthy and I'll live for you and I'll praise you. And I, I will understand that everything I do, I do in your presence. And so everything, uh, whether I'm enjoying a meal or or watching a ball game, or listening to music, everything is done with an understanding that I'm in God's presence and that I receive these as gifts from him and I use them and I uh, appropriate them in ways that are appropriate um, to him and how he would want that done. So um, it, it's, it's wrong to assume that, well, music, that's the worship part. Everything else is, you know, preaching. It's all worship. How you respond to God as Daniel was praying. Were you praying along with him? Were you saying amen to that? Um, When the singers sang, were you involved? When, When prayers were offered, when the scripture was read, were you saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, we receive that word from you. As God teaches you something, are you saying, yeah, I'll bring my life into conformity with that. I'll do what God wants me to do in that way. So that's important. Um, th- there's something else that I, uh, that I want to uh, say too. Um, so, we, so we come and everything we do, we come and confess our sins. That's an act of worship. If we encourage others, that's an act of worship. Um, as we respond in obedience to the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. That's obedience. And I'm not trying to diminish music, but I think in some places and in some churches, music has become the thing. In fact, people will choose the church on the basis of the music. Who's got the best music? Whose music do I enjoy the most? And those things may have nothing to do with what God says. And and again, I say, I don't want to diminish the importance of music. I'm a musician. Music has always had a huge place in my life. And it's something that I enjoy and and hopefully um, use to God's glory. But music has a lot of power over emotion. And I just want to say something here. In fact, we can think that we're worshiping when we're really not worshiping. Musically. Music has the power to touch us emotionally. And sometimes what we want is an emotional fix. Um... And we're looking for a response. I want to, you know, those of you who know me, you've seen me stand up here enough. I can get touched emotionally. You can see, you know, I'm wiping my eyes a little bit or something. I can do that in a movie that has nothing to do with God. I can listen to a piece of music and be touched and moved emotionally. It doesn't mean that 
God was the center of that. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that at all. But I think sometimes we can look for an emotional fix. We can want to be pumped up. Or we want to have this just really warm, wonderful feeling. And we can maybe cry. And I'm not against emotion. I'm a, I'm a very emotional person. Uh, and I'm wired that way. Um, but you can, you can miss God and have an emotional experience. You can get whipped up in a crowd. And there's a difference between emotionalism and emotion and experience. And, and how do I tell that it's not just emotionalism and not just a, a real thing? And I think that is this. The true experience, true good emotional engagement with God goes beyond feelings to action, heart, mind, and will. See, if you, can, if you can go and get your fix and you can sway and just be so emotionally moved and go out and you don't, doesn't change anything in how you live, you missed it. You missed it because we're to go out changed and conform to the image of Christ. A true experience also lasts. Emotionalism is short-lived. A burst of emotion. And that can be addictive. Oh, I want to have that experience again. And it can be anti-intellectual. It can be, I'm suspicious of anything intellectual. I just want to let go and let God, you know. And I, as I say, I'm not, I'm not against that because I, I have some very deep emotional engagement with God. Um, also, is there a hunger for God or is it just the experience you want? See, sometimes we want the gifts, not the giver of the gifts. Give me the gifts. That's what I, I don't know. God, no, no, just give, just give me that. Is there an allegiance to the word of God and truth? Is it forced? You know, sometimes I think we want to contrive it. Oh, we'll get the people all in a mood. And then God can do something. Again, I'm not talking against all of this. I'm saying some of it can just be not right. Um, When I was in college, training for ministry, there was a guy who had worked for us. And my, my father called me and said, this guy who worked for us, his son is having a bad time. He's in London, and that's where I was studying. And he's, um, he's in the London Psychiatric Hospital. If you have time, why don't you go and see him? So I did. And so this guy was a pothead. Um, he, he'd been doing a lot of drugs. And somewhere along the line, he'd had some ecstatic experience. And it was just something that felt so good. And he said to me, dude, dude, I just want to have that experience again. It didn't have anything to do with God. It was, I want a feeling and I'm addicted to that feeling. And, and give me that feeling. And so I just want to say, I'm all for emotion. I'm an emotional person. You, you've seen me cry before. You'll see me cry again. I, th- there's nothing wrong with that. And to be touched deeply. But make sure that it's not just emotionalism. Make sure that, that God is behind that. Because God wants to transform our lives. And when we go away just wanting that feeling but never being changed by God, we've missed the mark. Uh, God-ordained, true, Holy Spirit-moving may be emotionally powerful, and I don't 
I, I don't, I'm not, I, I'm saying not against that at all. But um, we need to make God the object of our worship and, and uh, uh, living according to and, and subjecting ourselves to him and his desire for us. Well, another thing is musical styles can vary from culture to culture. So what I thought I would do uh, that, that may be a little bit fun for us this morning is just to, um, we don't know what the music in the Bible sounded like. We know what the names of some of the instruments are. We've seen on cave walls paintings and sometimes, oh, that's, that's that intru- instrument. We don't know what it sounded like. I tell you this, it sounded so different from what you're accustomed to hearing that if, you, if we could go back and there was no musical notation, there was nothing like that, uh, I think you'd be quite surprised. But there are different styles. And so, you know, from the 5th, 6th century AD and, and forward, for a time, music in the church, um, there was uh, what was called Gregorian chants. And they were sung uh, without instrumentation, uh, only one part, there was only a melody, no harmony or anything, and they sound something like this. Gregorian chants. That was church music. Uh, you didn't participate, you listened to the monks. And they sang, and that was part of the worship. Um, our family, our family was in um, in Holland, and we went with an aunt of Gerda's to an old Reformed church. Now, in that old Reformed church, the only thing they sang were psalms. They wouldn't sing anything but psalms. I had to tell you, it was like a funeral dirge. Um, I just. You know, the psalms are wonderful, but that's all they sang. And it was, you know, it was da, 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 da. And, and anyway, it wasn't exciting my soul stylistically. And, and we're all a bit different. Um, but interesting, um, I, I, did, I did some, uh, I studied Hebrew at Huron College in uh, London, Ontario, at Western University. And um, it's in the Anglican tradition, and I would go to some of the the, uh, the uh, chapel services they would have, and they would have a cantor, and the cantor would sing, and then there would be a response to the cantor's singing, and um, it would be something like this. So something like that, and and I, I appreciated. I you know I'm kind of eclectic. I I listen to every, anything and everything and find something attractive in in uh, in just about anything. And something that I, I doesn't float my boat that much. Um, but we've we've been given a, a heritage of some wonderful music, and some of this stuff like goes back 500 years. And you think of Martin Luther. And uh, and uh, 
something like this that we still sing today. Beautiful. You know, I play the organ. I played pipe organs. I played the third largest pipe organ in the world in California once. It was was incredible. And so there's something beautiful and majestic about that. And that stuff, that baby's lasted like 500 years. Um, That's fabulous. And then we went through an era of like testimony songs where it wasn't, a lot of the songs were, you know, uh, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. And, and, and songs that, uh, you know, one uh, famous person, uh, Fanny Crosby, uh, she wrote a lot of good music. And um, something like this, which, again, we still sing. See, we sang that a few weeks ago, right? I mean, that's 1800s. Uh, but it's good stuff, and, and it's got legs. I mean, it, it's hung around. The interesting thing you need to know is, you know, sometimes, well, the music was so much better in the era before me. What we used to have, unlike what young people have today, is just... And, and what you don't know is each one of these successive moves came under harsh criticism. Fanny Crosby and some of these people, they were taking tunes that came out of the pubs and the bars and putting Christian uh, lyrics to it. It was unthinkable. And now we say, oh, like that's the bedrock. And, And at one time it was not accepted at all. So music changes with culture. And we need to be able to flex because music in itself is not right or wrong. Um, and God created all of this. Now, you know that I've had the privilege of, of uh, being in India a number of times. And um, uh, while I, in one class that I taught at the Bible Institute, they had a guy there who was a really adept musician at a, a kind of music called bowel music. And it's not, not the bowel that you're thinking of. It's spelled differently, but it's pronounced bowel music. And, uh, and I took a shot of him doing his thing. You know, now, my, my ear is not attuned to that, but theirs is. One of the mistakes, I think, that, that in modern missions we made was we took, like, Western forms of Christianity around the world, and we said, all right, now, you'll do our hymns our way, and some of these people aren't wired for that. You go to Africa and, and, and try and tell them to worship musically, but stay still, don't move. <laughs> they can't do it. So we take, and we've kind of, in some cases, imposed on others our style. 
which is, which isn't right. And so I, I think one of the things we have here is this beautiful diversity of people. Um, anyway, um, my, my ear's not attuned to that. I don't appreciate that the same way because that's not what I've grown up with. But if you're there, oh, they dig that. They're, they're into it. They know how to do it. So there, there's something about the breadth of cultural expression. Um, and what we said before is musical worship is first directed to God. There are two directions, but the first, m- musical worship is directed to God. We sing to God. We sing to God. After all, it's, it's, it is he whom we worship. He is the focus. Matt Redman wrote a book, The Heart of Worship, and some of the words are like this. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. I'm sorry for the things that I've made it when it's all about you, Jesus. It's about him, and so we come and we worship him musically, and we focus on the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And uh, Revelation 4, was, we looked at worship in Revelation, was, you're worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. You, God, we're singing to you, God. And when you sing a song to God, do you sing it to him? Like he is the, he is the audience. We're, we're, we're all on the platform. It's not these people. It's all of us, and we're singing to God. Because of his worthiness. Because you have created all things. And by your will they were created. Uh, But musical worship is also directed, as we said, to believers. And often in the Bible, we're instructed to sing to each other. The first song we sang this morning uh, was, Come, let us sing. Now, we were singing that to each other. as an act of worship. Come, let us sing. I'm singing to you. You're singing to me. There's this aspect about it. In Psalm 95, 1 to 3, it says this. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is great. A great God. The great king above all gods. So we come to sing to each other. Not only to God, but to each other. And we say, come on, let's worship. Come on. Stand up, Claude. Come on. Just sing it out, Claude. And he's saying, you sing it out. Top this. Um, and, and, and we sing to each other. In Ephesians 5.19, it says this. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. So there's an element at which we sing to one another and we sing to the Lord, making music in our heart to the Lord. Um, When you came in here, did you come with an understanding that you had something to do to encourage others to worship? In uh, uh, Colossians 3 and verse 16, it says this, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Let the word of God settle in and change you um, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Next, uh, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. We teach, we warn, admonish, encourage through song one another. I told you when I was in the, um, in the Anglican seminary studying um, uh, Hebrew that in their, in their gatherings in the chapel at here in college, 
the chairs actually faced each other. You'd turn these around and you'd face each other. And I thought there's something about that where we're singing to each other. I'm singing across to other people. They're singing uh, to me. But there's, there's a, a, fun, a function in worship and music that teaches us. Um, the content is important, therefore. Because how music sticks, and if it's teaching and admonishing, we need the truth. We need to get the truth into our minds and let it do its work as we sing to God and as we sing to one another. We're to worship, uh, finally. We're to worship with all our hearts. Worship with all our hearts. Um, We come in here and we worship God. Although maybe a lot of the stuff doesn't really qualify for worship because it's not done for God meaningfully. We're checking our phone messages. We're counting the lights. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're thinking about what we're doing afterwards and, you know, is the food, is, is, you know, why doesn't he just stop preaching? Doesn't he know? Um, and uh, so, so, but he's, we're to worship with all, all of our hearts. Zephaniah 3.14. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart as you sing. Give it all you have. Um, love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, everything in you. When you worship God, when you came here, you came here to do something, not to be an observer. You came to participate. You came to tell God how enthralled you are with him, how wonderful he is, how great he is in all that he's done for you, and that he's worthy, and he's watching us as an audience. He's not watching these. You're watching these guys. He's watching all of us, saying, let's hear... Show me the love you have for me. Show me how you respond to who I am. A very famous uh, picture by Michelangelo shows a picture of uh, Adam and God. And God is reaching out to Adam. And Adam's going, you know, there's no effort. There's no energy. And you know what? You, you think about this. Is that a picture of you in worship? Or are you so totally engaged with God that he is so wonderful that you're here and when you're singing, you're singing to him. And, and you're praising him and you're thanking him and you're exalting him. He is worthy. So give it all you've got. We're going to do one song. Uh, Come on up, bring, bring the musicians up. We're going to do one song. And uh, what, what we want to do is, we want to just worship God in music. And so, uh, let, me just, let me just pray as they prepare themselves. Father, Lord Jesus Christ, dear Holy Spirit, You are so incredibly awesome and wonderful beyond what our hearts and our minds can even grasp. And Father, we come to worship you in this time. 
We pray, Lord, that you'll help us to grasp these truths and they would change us. And as we sing to you, Lord, I pray that you would receive our worship um, with delight and joy as you smile upon us, as you even sing over us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.